We are this week closing out chapter 15 of the gospel according to Matthew. We're going to be starting in verse 29 and we're going to make it all the way through verse 39. It's only 10 verses. It shouldn't be too big of a problem, right? For those of you that know me, that does not mean that we're skipping lunch. Uh, I will be able to make it. Uh, last week, just to, to fill you in while you're turning your, your Bibles to those uh, verses, um, we were looking at verses 21 through 28 where Jesus went to uh, the region of Tyre and, and he was uh, dealing with the Canaanite woman. The, the gospel writers don't tell us why he went. Uh, I do believe, however, the reason that God recorded that through Matthew and through Mark for us was because of the faith of the Canaanite woman. Um, however, whatever the, the reason was, whatever point in Jesus' uh, ministry it took place, we're going to make you, we're going to be looking at a passage today that may make you wonder if you're suffering from deja vu. Okay, and that's actually going to be at the tail end of the sermon. We're going to be looking at something that sounds very familiar uh, to something we've already looked at, but it's different, trust me. So I'm going to ask you all to stand, as is our custom, for God's Word this morning. Chapter 15, verse 29. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were four thousand men, besides women and children. After sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Let's pray. Father, as we again approach your word this morning, help us to see the significance of what Jesus says and what Jesus does. Help us to understand the change in the lives of those people who have encountered Jesus. And Father, help us to be motivated to share the story of who Jesus is with the people that we encounter every day. We pray all this because of Christ. Amen. Please have a seat. So, before we get started, I want to point out that some of this account is also recounted for us in Mark's Gospel, and there are some details that Mark has that Matthew does not. So, uh, if, if you would... Stick a bookmark, your bulletin, uh, uh, something, a tissue, I don't know, something in, in Matthew chapter 15 here, and then flip to Mark chapter 7. 
Now, as you're turning, and I'm telling you that there are differences between the two accounts, as soon as somebody points out that there is a difference between something that's in one gospel and something that's in the other, people get really, really, really twitchy. Does that mean there's a contradiction between the two? No, it just means there's a difference in perspective between the two. You ever been in a car accident? Or have you ever witnessed a car accident? Does your account line up with everything that the other people who witnessed the accident say? No, because we all have a different perspective. We all have our own biases. We all have our own understanding of events as they take place. Mark wrote his gospel predominantly for a Roman audience. Matthew wrote his gospel predominantly for a Jewish audience. So just those two things change the way stuff is presented between the two gospels. So in Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 31, Mark gives us a little bit more detail than what Matthew does. He says, Then he, that's Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Well, there's a whole lot of information right there that Matthew didn't tell us. Matthew just said he left and walked by the Sea of Galilee. You read Matthew's account, it makes it sound like Tyre and Galilee are like 10 minutes apart. It's like Biloxi and Gulfport. No. (laughs) Mark tells us that he went through Sidon first. If you know your geography, and I forgot to put the map in the slideshow again. I'm not going to make Kira jump through hoops to do that this morning. It was bad enough last week. Um, If you know your geography of the Middle East, Tyre is northwest of the Sea of Galilee on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Sidon, the location of Sidon, is actually 25 miles further up the coast of the Mediterranean. So when Jesus left Tyre, he went 25 miles further north before he went back to Galilee. So that means that this trip was approximately 60 miles or more from where he started out. This didn't take place in a day. If he walked 10 miles in a day, it took him close to a week to get to where he was going. And then Mark says that he went to the region of the, 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 the to the region of the Decapolis. The Decapolis you're going to have a hard time finding it on most maps because that wasn't a city. That was a group of 10 cities. That's what Decapolis means, Deca for 10, right? Um, These 10 cities, according to Pliny, who was a Roman scholar who lived from 23 to 79 AD, uh, these cities were Damascus, Opaton, Philadelphia, not Mississippi or Pennsylvania, um, Rafana, Scythopolis, Gadara, Hippondion, Pella, Galassa, and Canatha. And I'm not repeating that. If you didn't catch it, you'll have to download the podcast and listen to it again. All right? So those ten cities there made up this region of the Decapolis. And if, if you do find those cities on a map, it was huge. The, the region of the Decapolis was very large. In fact, uh, if, if I'm the map, this is the Sea of Galilee. Damascus is actually all the way up here. The rest of those ten cities 
are all down here. This is a very large region. But it bordered the Sea of Galilee. On the southeastern corner. One of those ten cities was on the southeastern corner of the Sea of Galilee. And we've already talked about Jesus visiting that city. In fact, he did something pretty noteworthy when he visited that city. He did something that made the residents of that city say, Can you please leave? That city was Gadara. The people who lived there were called the Gadarenes. And they raised pigs, of which Jesus cast legion into the herd of pigs, and they went off the hillside into the ocean. And they lost all of their pigs. So this is where Jesus has gone to. Um, Jesus only ministered to a couple of people there last time because the residents of the city kindly asked him to depart after he cast the demon out. You remember the the demon-possessed man or men, depending on which gospel account you read, right? Mark tells us there were... uh, Mark says there was one, Matthew says there was two, or vice versa, I can't remember which. Uh, But if there was two, then there was at least one, right? Again, not a contradiction. And the the man slash men were in the tombs and chained up and they'd cut themselves with rocks and cry out all night long and and when they when jesus showed up on the shore he or they came to jesus and said what do you want to do with us it's not our time yet it's not your time yet and jesus cast them into the herd of swine and the pigs ran off and the man was healed the men were healed and clothed and sane and in their right mind and the people from the city came out and said could you please go away Economically, we can't afford you to stick around. <laughs> Pigs are our livelihood. But also, there was the fact that Jesus was different. And they didn't know how to handle that different. So this time when he appears in the region of the Decapolis, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he, was, he goes up the mountain, according to Matthew, which is probably the same place where the tombs were that the demon-possessed man was living in. He goes up the mountain, and great crowds of people come to him, bringing their sick, lame, blind, crippled, mute, and every other afflicted person. Now, i got to tell you, I like Mark a little bit more than I like Matthew because I like details. I'm a detail person. Matthew condenses things almost so much that we miss the personal nature of what Jesus is doing here. Matthew says, they brought everybody to Jesus, Jesus healed everybody, and when the crowd saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, they glorified the God of Israel. Two lines. They brought him their sick, and when he healed them, they worshipped. Moving on. Mark tells us a little bit more. And the reason this is important is because it would be very easy to think, if we look at Matthew's account, Jesus is up on a mountain, the crowd brings out all of their sick folks, all of their blind, all their deaf, and, and so on and so forth, 
And it's almost easy to see Jesus just kind of walking through the crowd, touching people. Right? Or maybe even sitting at the top of the crowd and saying, you're healed. And everybody's well. Right? I mean, based on what Matthew tells us, it could be that simple. Mark paints a slightly more detailed picture. Now keep in mind, Mark's primary source for writing the gospel was the apostle Peter. Matthew wrote his own account. He was there. Mark probably wrote based on what Peter told him. Peter remembered details because he's Peter. He's the guy who keeps his foot in his mouth. He's the guy who sees things from a different perspective. And Mark tells us of one man. Let me keep reading. Verse 32. They brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. So there's this one guy who's deaf and has a speech impediment. Now those two things go hand in hand. How many of you all know somebody who's been deaf for a while? Okay. A person who is deaf for any length of time is going to have a very distinct speech pattern because they do not have the ability to hear themselves form the words. So they go off of the best that they can from what they either lip read or what sound does penetrate their hearing impediment to make noises that sound like, and some of them can do a pretty good job, and others cannot. It's not much more than grunts, depending on how bad the speech impediment. So this guy is brought to Jesus, and his friends beg Jesus to lay his hands on the man. That puts a personal flavor to this. This isn't just the case of Jesus sitting up on the hill saying, Hey, y'all are good to go now. Next group. He's not Benny Hinn. This is Jesus we're talking about. The people bring this guy to Jesus personally. And they wanted their friend to be healed. Why would they beg Jesus to lay his hand on him? Think on that for a couple minutes. I'll come back to that question. So then Jesus does something that just sounds really, really, really strange. Okay? I'm going to admit it. When I read this, I did the... the, the the kind of RCA dog thing. You know what I'm talking about? The old RCA pictures with the dog in front of the the phonograph, right? When I read it, that was my response. What? Verse 33, Taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. What? Y'all did it too, just now. Y'all did this. Y'all did... What? That's not how Jesus does things. In the case of the Canaanite woman that we just looked at last week, she is pestering Jesus, and and Jesus doesn't answer her. He ignores her, and then Jesus says, it's not my job, right? And then Jesus says, it's not right to take the the, the food that belongs to the children and give it to the dogs. So he calls the woman a dog, right? And then when she expresses this statement of faith, he says, go, your daughter is healed. He didn't even go to the daughter. And she was healed. Then you have those cases where he's walking and and the, the woman comes up from behind in the crowd 
And she knows that all she has to do is touch the hem of his robe and she'll be healed. He didn't even, he didn't even know she was there until after the fact. And he was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, right? He walked in the house and all he said was, time to wake up. And she did. No place have we encountered one of these situations where Jesus does anything like this. He sticks his fingers in the guy's ears. Now The guy's deaf. Jesus can't tell him, hang on, I'm going to do something. Jesus takes the guy aside and goes, why? Why? Now it says Jesus spits. And then touches the guy's tongue. Why? Why? The only thing I can come up with is that because the man was deaf, Jesus had no other way to communicate to him what was about to happen. I'm going to fix your ears and your mouth. Maybe Jesus was... Uh, inviting a small act of faith on the part of the man, not just his friends. I don't know. Maybe this is one of those things that God preserved in Scripture for us, so when we get to heaven, and we've been there for 10,000 years, we get the opportunity, we see Jesus, we say, really, fingers in the ears, why? I don't know. But what happens next is even, even more powerful. Verse 34 Looking up to heaven, he sighed. If this doesn't make Jesus a real person, when you read Scripture, if this doesn't doesn't take the academic and turn it into the personal, I don't know what does. Because I can see Jesus. Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew tells us that he's been with this crowd for three days. He takes the man aside and he sticks his fingers in the ears and he touches the man's tongue and then he looked at heaven and I can hear it. (sighs) Wow. The creator of the universe sighed. Was it physical weariness? Maybe. If the crowd has been with him for three days and they don't have any food, that means Jesus probably doesn't have any food either. Physical weariness? Yeah, I can see that. But I don't think this is draining him physically. Was he tired of having to heal so many people? Was he fed up with being the center of attention, that people would would follow him even when he's trying to be alone? Because we know that's happened, right? He got in a boat in Capernaum and he sailed across the Sea of Galilee to be by himself. And what happened? The people followed him all the way around the lake. <laughs> they, they beat him there. And so he ministered to them. He tried to be alone up in Tyre. He went into a house and he told everybody, keep it quiet, don't tell anybody I'm here. And this Canaanite woman shows up with a need. Okay, I am far from being Jesus, but I can tell you, 
that ministers sometimes need time alone. I can understand that sigh. I can understand that feeling of tiredness. Not because I'm tired of ministering to people, but because it takes something out of you. But really, I think more than just physical tiredness, more than just the emotional drain of being with those that many people that were hurting, I think Jesus was tired of seeing the effect of sin on God's creation. For three days, he has been ministering to people who can't walk, who can't see, who can't hear, who can't speak, who are being oppressed by demonic activity, who have all kinds of other illnesses and ailments. He is seeing, he is walking through the world's largest hospital and nursing home, all in one. And he doesn't just see people that are sick. He sees people that are marked by the fall. That's got to hurt. Now see, I can look around this room and I can see people that are marked by the fall. I can see some of us have a full head of hair. Some of us have less than a full head of hair. Some of us have our natural color. Some of us have our aging natural color. And some of us have color out of a box. Or out of a jar. (laughs) Some of us wear glasses. Some of us ought to wear glasses. Some of us, they don't make strong enough glasses. As I climb the stairs, my knees pop. When we get done and I'm going to go down those stairs, they're going to pop again. I can see the evidence of the fall, but you know what? It doesn't hurt me that bad. Why? Because I live with it every day. What was the one part of humanity that Jesus did not experience in his own body? And that was the impact of the fall. He didn't have that sin in his life that causes us to focus on ourselves. He could really see the people that he was ministering to. And so he looked up to heaven and he sighed. Mark tells us then that Jesus spoke the word, and and this word uh, is great. I'm glad the translators put extra effort into this word, okay? Ephatha. Right. The translators didn't translate that, by the way. That is not an English rendering. That is transliterated. They took the original word that Mark wrote and they assigned English letters to make the sounds. That is not an English word. I've never heard a person use it outside of this context. Mark wrote it in Greek. But Jesus would have spoken it in Aramaic. It is a Greek translation of an Aramaic word. The 
uh, Aramaic word comes from the Hebrew word petah. And that word means be opened. It was a command. Jesus looked up to heaven, he sighed, and then he commanded the man's ears and tongue to be opened. And just like that, Mark says, his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Now, like I said, even if a person who has suffered from deafness for any amount of time with our modern science today, gets a hearing aid, right? Gets a cochlear implant. Gets any one of the number of different medical technologies that we have that enables the ability to hear. Even if they get that, it's still going to take time before they learn how to make words correctly. Because they have to unlearn what they already know about making those words. Does anybody in here speak a different language other than English? All right, I took five years worth of Spanish. I can ask where the bathroom is, and I can ask for a cup of coffee. That's about it. Okay? And when I say those words, I sound like a dumb American saying those words in Spanish. Because we have certain sounds that we are trained to make, and they're not the sounds that they make in Mexico, with their words, or Argentina, or Spain. A deaf person has to unlearn those patterns in order to learn how to speak clearly. Except Mark says here, his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Just like that. Now, verse 36. Sometimes I think Jesus may have been the most naive man on the face of the planet. Jesus charged them to tell no one. Because that'll work. Okay, I know you brought your buddy to me and he was deaf and he wasn't able to speak and now he can hear and he can speak plainly. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody how it happened. Oh, by the way, to the deaf guy, (laughs) don't tell anybody what happened. Because he's going to be able to go home to where everybody knows who he is. Everybody knows that he has probably been sitting outside in the marketplace with a tin cup in hand, asking for alms because he's unemployable, he cannot work, he has no means of support, but to beg for his daily bread, he's all of a sudden going to go back speaking plainly and able to hear, don't tell anybody what happened. What is the first question everybody's going to ask? (laughs) Right. Mark says, The more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. The bigger the miracle, the more likely we are to go blathering to everybody we can find. And the more somebody tells us, hey, keep it it quiet. 
That talks a little bit about gossip in the church, right? Hey, don't tell anyone, but I heard... (laughs) Prayer chain turns into a grapevine real quick. They could not believe their eyes. They were completely blown away. They could not... (laughs) Mark says they were astonished beyond measure. Apparently Mark's taking notes from Paul in his understatement. Astonished beyond all measure. This is one of those places where the word flabbergasted probably fits. Okay? They were blown away. They could not believe their own senses. The lame were walking, the blind could see, the sick were made whole, the deaf and the mute were able to hear and to speak. They could not stop talking about what Jesus did. And as remarkable as all of that is, and the people people say, he's done all things well, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now if we go back to Matthew... There's a phrase in verse 31 that ought to make you sit up and take notice. Again, it is so easy for us to get so comfortable and so accustomed to reading the words in Scripture that they no longer hit the bell that makes us perk up and pay attention. I don't want you to miss this. Verse 31 So the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. All right, same thing Mark said. They were blown away. But then what's the last phrase there? They glorified the God of Israel. Why is that a big deal? Oh, I don't know. Remember where Jesus is right now? They're Gentiles. These are not God-fearers. These are not Jews. These are not people who worship the God of Israel. These are people who have no contact other than the occasional business dealing with the God of Israel. None. In fact, if they were made up of people from the Gadarenes, they probably didn't even have economic contact with the Jews. Because what Jew would buy or sell or trade with somebody who raises pigs? They wouldn't. And yet, they glorified the God of Israel. Jesus heals everybody and a worship service breaks out. Among Gentiles. This is a very special event. This is big news. So, I have now spent 30 minutes... On three verses. And I told you all we were going to do ten. Means I've got seven verses left and ten minutes. Verses 32 through 39. Did it sound familiar to anybody? Like three weeks ago we talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? Okay. This is a different distinct event this is not matthew repeating himself this is not deja vu this is not a glitch in the matrix this is this is a different event some of the details are very different in 
the feeding of the 5,000, the people come to Jesus and say, send, uh, the disciples come to Jesus and say, send the people away. We don't have food to feed them all. Here, Jesus calls the disciples and says, we need to feed all these people. There, with the 5,000, Jesus tells the disciples, you feed them. Go figure out what food we have. And they come back with the boy who's got the five loaves and the two fish. And those loaves, remember, are about the size of a cupcake made out of barley and two small fish. Here, Jesus says, what do we got to feed the people? And the disciples say, we've got seven loaves <coughs> and two small fi- a few small fish. Now, he blesses the food, he distributes it to the crowd. There are seven baskets of leftovers collected. Matthew and Mark both tell us that there's 4,000 men in the crowd plus women and children. Okay? Previous account, there were 5,000 people in the crowd. The previous account is recorded in all four Gospels. This is only in Matthew and Mark. Okay? Okay? So I'm reading this. And verse 33 jumps out. Verse 33, the disciples said to him, where are we supposed to get enough bread in a desolate place like this to feed such a big crowd? Anybody home? Do you all not remember a couple weeks ago when we had more people and less food and we fed them and had 12 baskets left over? Do, do you remember that? Neither Matthew or Mark give us a reason for the disciples not remembering this. Okay, now, Mark is taking his sources. He's using Peter, right? So I can see Mark writing this stuff down. Okay, so then, that, so, why didn't you guys remember that? I can even see Peter. I really don't know. I have no earthly idea. The only thing I can think of is this was a different event. When Jesus fed the 5,000, they were on the eastern edge of the Sea of Galilee in an area that was predominantly Jewish, with a crowd that had followed them from Capernaum and Nazareth and the the western side of the Sea of Galilee, which was predominantly Jewish. And so the 5,000 men and the women and the children that were there for the feeding of the 5,000 were probably Jewish. Here, Jesus is in a Gentile region with a Gentile crowd. It's possible that because of what Jesus said when he was up in Tyre, remember, this is all in the same context. He's up in Tyre, and the Canaanite woman, the the Syrophoenician woman, the Gentile woman, says, my daughter is oppressed by a demon, and Jesus says it would not be right to take the food that belongs to the children and give it to the dogs. Jesus said to the disciples, 
I've not been sent to the Gentiles. I've been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. There is a possibility here that it's not that the the disciples didn't remember, but it's that they didn't expect Jesus to do what Jesus had already said wasn't his mission. And yet, when he was in Tyre, he healed the daughter of the Canaanite woman. Here, he healed them, he ministered to them, and then he fed them. A lot of people will look at the Scriptures and they will say that Jesus ministered only to Israel in the four Gospels. There were a couple of cases, but they're exceptions, not the rule. There's the the woman at the well, and there's the Canaanite woman. But for the most part, Jesus only came to minister to Israel. Remember what the Apostle Paul writes about the true Israel. The true Israel are those who are saved. Those who are bought with the blood of Christ. The Gentiles who are grafted into the tree. That's us. We make up the true Israel. And so here, I think, we see the first breaking down of the wall between the Jewish believer and the Gentile believer. In that Jesus ministered to them, and then he fed them, and he healed them, and then they responded the way you would expect any child of God to respond. They worshiped God. And then Matthew tells us that Jesus got into a boat, and he went over to the western shore near Capernaum, and that's where we'll pick up next week. So, what principle, what point, what action should we get out of these verses? What, how should it change who we are? There's a couple of things. Number one, if you claim the name of Christ, that means you've had an encounter with Jesus. That means if absolutely nothing else, he has taken away your sin debt. If that does not result in worship, I don't know what would. Number two, if he has done that, and it's caused you to worship, Why aren't we reacting the same way those people who saw their deaf and mute buddy healed? (laughs) Why aren't we? Jesus didn't tell us to be quiet. Jesus didn't tell us, don't tell anybody what happened. Jesus didn't tell us, keep it on the down low, I don't want people to know who I am. Jesus told the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You will go tell people. Not if you feel like it. (laughs) You will do it. And then right before he departed, 
He said, go therefore and do what? Make disciples. I don't know, maybe the church would be a little bit more adamant about telling everybody what Jesus has done if Jesus had left us with the words, don't tell nobody. But that really should not be the way we are. We need to go and to blather to everyone. We ought to be known as those people who won't shut up about our God. Why aren't we? 